Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got. Welcome to the show, Spit. We're here at the Shack Library, and uh, David Lee Scales, Scott Bass here with you. It is Tuesday. <laughs> what are you doing? You're looking Just at my notes? Just out your notes. Go ahead. Uh, this is an email from a listener. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's Tuesday. It's October 22nd. It's 9.30 in the morning or thereabouts. And um, We're only 30 minutes behind schedule today. I know. Why, why are you so disrespectful of my time? <laughs> Well, to tell the truth, I got a text from you that said you were going to be 10 minutes late. Oh, oh, that's right. Yes. Shoot. Dang it. Yes. Uh, why are you so spiffy? Um, every once in a while I shower, you know? Every once in a while. Well, yeah. looks good on you. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a podcast after this, which is why I had to do a hard out at 11.15 because I have a nooner mm. in San Clemente. Um, so you dress up for your podcasts? For certain people. Wow. Who is this person? <laughs> no, no, no. All I did was put on a collared shirt. You cut your hair and combed it. Well, You're I, still my, hair was, my hair was cut last week, and it was just because it needed to get cut. You, you look nice today is all I'm saying, right. except you're well, still not wearing shoes. No, no, no. You can't wear shoes. When you get out of the car, I don't wear shoes in the car. So when you just get out of the car and roll right into a, a meeting with you... I don't need shoes. Do you go, um, so in your car, is it sandals that you're kicking off or you're actually lacing up shoes? No, no. I drive barefoot and I have sandals. Oh, okay. Yeah. So your footwear to your meeting is sandals. Yeah. Okay. Who are you interviewing? Jeff Devine. Wow. Surf photographer, legend. Wow. On the Mount Rushmore of surf photographers. If I was thinking about this, that was going to be one of my questions to him. If there was a Mount Rushmore for figureheads that really speak to the history and the legend of surf photography who would those four photographers be stoner granis those are good definitely good choices i mean i'm survey no maybe i mean those are I don't know. There's well, look, gotta be, look at it like this. It's such a vast period know, of time. It is, it's hard right? to pick four. You'd have to pick one from each. Kind of. Yeah. That's era. kind of. Yeah. You've got Severson. Yeah, yeah. Ron Stoner. Leroy Granis. Before that, you've got guys like, I want to say, Don James, I think. And I know I'm missing a real legendary older guy. Um and then, but but like in the era where I grew up, there's where, where really surf photography sort of blossomed. I would suggest to you, when they're swimming at pipe and stuff and doing crazy stuff, um, you know, you've got Merkel, Dan Merkel, Bob Barber, Jeff Devine, Steve Wilkings, um, Aaron Chang, uh, Ted Grambo, Hornbreaker. Jeff Hornbreak, you've got so many guys. Like, there's like a lot of guys. Brian Beelman. I know I'm missing. He's a survey, but there's and then there's Australian guys. And then, so I guess from the '70s, I'm thinking from the '70s, which is sort of Jeff Devine's era, right? I mean, he's he's still taking photography, uh, surf photos, but 
when you think of some of his iconic stuff, although he was around in the 80s and 90s too. I mean, he was working at Surfer oh, totally. Magazine in the 90s and 2000s. So yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting, the Mount Rushmore of surf photography. It's an interesting, because then there's like John Witzig from it's, Australia. It's there's too, Australians we're not even thinking about that need to be thought about, right? Rushmore's too, uh, there's not enough slots. Who's the guy, the, the classic Aussie guy? His name's, I'm missing it right now. He was a kneeboarder legendary photographer guy but anyway mm. there's a bunch of them yeah anyway the mount rushmore so if it was older guys like the founding father types then it helps narrow it down yeah i wonder how rushmore was selected you know like oh. the actual mount rushmore itself how do they pick those four yeah i don't know there's i'm sure there's great documentaries on it it was a was it a private no it's a federal park right it's a federal park I mean, at this point it is. Did it start it's, as a I think, private? I don't know. We need to look into that. I want to say that it started as some guy's just like hobby. And then yeah, somebody's see, like, this is insane. Let's give him some money. And then they, somebody threw some money at it. And then somebody goes, oh, I'm from the... Who's on Rushmore? <laughs> can you name the four presidents? Uh, Isn't Teddy Ro- Roosevelt? Yeah, Roosevelt's the weird one. Yeah, or the one that like is more modern. Yeah. But Roosevelt, um, Lincoln... Washington. Washington. So who would the fourth be? Tom, Jefferson, Jefferson, maybe? Jefferson, maybe. Could be Jefferson. That would make but sense you get if the it was feeling like that the founders. Teddy Roosevelt Foundation goes, hey, since you're doing this, let's throw you some money and go ahead and put Teddy on there. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good point. I don't know. Teddy was a pretty powerful president. Um, but it's still, yeah, so it's, yeah, Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, and Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Um, well, Teddy Roosevelt did so much for founding national parks. That, so that though. could be it. It makes sense. You know what else I've always thought about Rushmore is how did they de- decide it was finished? I think they just said, we've had enough. We give up. Yeah, there's because, still rubble at the bottom of the thing. There's rubble at the bottom and some of the faces like Washington's is very prominent and has kind of his full face and some of his hair. Whereas Lincoln, you only get like half of his face. It's showing basically the first depth. You know, yeah. the first level of depth of yeah. his face. You don't get ears or anything like that. Yeah. So at some point, they're just chiseling. They go, you know what? After 70 years. How long did they do it? Putting down the chisel. Was it, it must have been 15 or 20 years. Yeah, I'd say so. I'm not sure. I could try to pull it up. Um, it was sure. authorized on March 3rd, the 1925, and was completed on in 1941. So 16, 16 years. That doesn't seem like that long because the other one, Crazy Horse, they've been working on forever and they're still working on it. What's Crazy Horse? I don't even know what you're talking about. There's near Mount Rushmore. They yeah. have a giant um, carving of Crazy Horse right. in the side of a cliff. Like the same idea, but that sounds pretty cool. Crazy Horse. And they've been working on that, I feel like, forever and it's still not done. Huh. I haven't even heard about that. And who do you even... Who picks? Who picks? The sculptors. Oh, like I said, I think Rushmore, there was just some crazy guy that just started doing it. And they're like, wow, look at this guy go. <laughs> yeah. They're, um, it's our land, but let him have it. So when you look, like I obviously was just in Italy, and you see these things that take hundreds of years to make. Like Duomo, the Duomos, these big you know cathedrals. and um, There's no one artist that's responsible for them. Like... First of all, it's a feat of engineering that they were able to do these things way back when they did them. And the size of the stones, like how did they even move these stones? But when you look at things like um, the Sistine Chapel, which is attributed to Michelangelo, obviously, he's the artist. He didn't do 
most of the work. Right. He had all these painted apprentices. The ceiling, right? Didn't no, he, he had all these apprentices painting for him, oh, like students right. from his classes and stuff that are doing the actual brushwork. Oh, interesting. Which is weird. Did he sketch it or something? And then Who he knows? had them fill in the color? <laughs> so <laughs> each individual panel is a story in and of itself. And they're all biblical stories, obviously. Um, and so I don't know how he decided which stories to tell in the panels. Um, but I would imagine, yeah, he conceptualized each of those panels, probably sketched them out, you know, and maybe even sketched them onto the ceiling itself. Well, going back to like, how did he, de- who determined, like there must've been a lot of politics back then. And that, and so then that makes me think of like cave paintings like that you yeah. would find archeologically, like, at the start of man, you know, was there, so you can see these cavemen having like meetings about, okay, which cave painting should we start with? Well, I want to do the one about eating, you know, starting fire. Here's the one with me clubbing my wife. Like, here's why I think it's relevant. (laughs) Uh, Sounds like Monty Python. She pissed me off really bad the other night. So I've, I don't know if I've told you this theory that I have that memes are our generation's hieroglyphs. You've told me this. Yes. This and that sounds good. like a joke, but it's no, not. I'm entirely legit. because they're they synthesize exactly what we're going through in our culture right now, whether yeah. it's politically or the Kardashians or anything. They synthesize it into one image with very short text. Not only that, they're hilarious oftentimes. Um, so it's there's sort like, of like political cartoons. They've taken totally. the place of political cartoons. Completely. But they're even better than... Like, there's a vetting process. The internet is its own vetting process. So a political cartoon, the editor approves or disapproves. And lots of times you read those and they're so stupid. You don't even, like, smile. Yeah. Whereas memes, they only go viral if they've gotten thumbs up from everybody on And they're the so good because they're anonymous. There's no that's commerce behind it. So you can be pretty... You know, so that's the other crazy detail. Aggressive. Like we can't name a single cave drawing artist. We can name famous artists from the 1300s or you know earlier, but there's no cave artist that we can name. Renaissance, you can't think of anybody. Not really. So then you got these. To bring back to the meme analogy, these guys living in their mom's basements, just putting. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know I live in my mom's basement? So they're they're generating <laughs> genius level content. I mean, yeah. to be able to tap into everybody and have it go viral is pretty amazing. And now people are arguing with me on the internet or in their car right now going, I know, you know, a meme account, the fat Jewish. That's a famous memer. No, no, no. He's regurgitating memes. He's not generating memes. Right. So you can't name any of the actual meme artists, yeah. you know, but they are prolific in their work. They're generating. Does, like, a, does a meme artist lose credibility if he tries to put his little mark on it? I people think just so. kind of go, no, nah, sorry, pal. I think you're so. You're trying to capitalize here or you're out. The anonymity is part of the agreement. And like you said, there's no commerce. So they're doing it completely for free, hence living in the mom's basement. Right. And, and they're signing their name to it. But they're almost poets in a sense because the, the – the, They're kind of like rap artists in a way because they're, a lot of times they're taking photos that they didn't take and they're mixing mediums or taking maybe a famous quote and or like a lot of times you'll see like a photo from a classic movie where there's mm-hmm. a classic character like a Caddyshack guy or something. You're so right. anyway – it is a collage. Yeah, and much like rap where they were like, you know, lifting sampling riffs and beats. sampling beats and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah interesting. They're, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Anyways. Wow. Yeah, anyways. Spit. We got lots to catch up on. By the way, you did say we're here at Shack, and you mentioned Dick Metz, but Serving Heritage and Culture Center. Yes. Thank you for hosting us. Absolutely. And this is the effort of Dick Metz, who Scott's going to try to poach for an interview, even though I've already got one in the can waiting to go out. He's got tons of... Tons More stories. Of, tons of content there. <laughs> I would love... All you got to do is just... Like, you can just bring up one guy, just one name, and you can have two hours of conversation. <laughs> Because you just diverge and go by to, conversation. I, I just had a that should have been recorded. What I was just talking to Dick about just now. By the way, by conversation, doesn't it require a back and forth? What are you saying? All you got to do is tee dip Dick up with a name, yeah. and then he goes for right. two hours. Exactly, it's a monologue, like Pat Ross style. <laughs> yeah, it's a soliloquy. Um, we do owe Need Essentials a thank you as well for yes. being a long term supporter of this show. And my friend, I was surfing with my friend Sam the other day. He paddled out. We were just rapping. He goes, yeah, the water got chilly. I got this new Neat Essentials. I was like, killer, man. He's like, yeah, then, you know, because he obviously listens oh, to okay. the show. Cool. And it's he got his brand new Neat Essentials 3-2. He's psyching. He's stoked. It's funny. As long as we've been talking about it, I just kind of presume everybody's hip to the Neat Essentials now and they get, you know, four different suits throughout the year for whatever water temp it is. But I got a text or a DM from a listener the other day saying... What are your thoughts on Need Essentials? I'm like, you don't already know my thoughts. Okay, here it is in paragraph form. He's like, sweet, I've been wanting to try it because this other wetsuit failed me, you know, or whatever. So I was like, wow, it's funny. After Speaking all these which, years, we got an, we both got an email from a guy today or yesterday about the Maurice Call Reverse V Groveler that you have, right? Oh, that I, didn't, I have. I didn't yeah. read it. So we got an email from a guy named Aaron. He's like, hey, I'm thinking about buying a, a Reverse V Groveler. I think he's here in San Clemente, actually. And what do you think, you know? And I was like, well, first of all, I don't think mine's a groveler. Mine's just a performance trifin. I don't think it's the groveler. It's six foot four, my board. Oh, yeah. It's six four, and it's just got a normal outline. It's not like like a wider hipped tail or anything. Yeah. But it is a reverse V, and I love it. It's my go-to board for solid beach break sessions, you know, when I need to, to make it out of the tube. Mine's, and it does, it does huge gaffing hacks, really. really mine nice. is in my car right now. Perfect. Um, so I'm a fan. I told Aaron me I'm too. a fan. Yeah. I'm, but I'm I also said, look, fan. surfboards are subjective. What David and I like, you might not like. What David likes, Scott might not like. What Scott yeah. likes, David might. And, you know, it's just, it is what it is. That's the beauty of surfboards. Yeah. Every guy's different and every board's a little different for that person. And Did he say he was getting one? He's got limited budget. He's thinking about getting one. I said, dude, pull the trigger. Yep. I would agree. That's a good choice. Uh, we got a couple of things we need to catch up on before we get into the Gabriel controversy in Portugal and everything else. Um, I wanted to touch base on Whidbey Island with you. Oh, okay. I was up there at this exact moment last week. That's where I was. And you interviewed Matt. I did an episode with Matt Warshaw and then one with Drew Campion. Oh, so good. How great is Drew? Crazy. He's great. He's, he's awesome. Great. Yeah, he's really He great. is so smart and just... I know Matt was probably really, really good, but I'm guessing that Drew was better. I wouldn't say better. They're totally different. I mean, they couldn't be more dissimilar almost. Drew's just witty and smart, and he's just a thought ahead. I mean, so's Matt. I'm but trying- I, you're, you're 100% right. And Drew will just like open his mouth and kind of freeform poetry as he's, as he's organizing his thoughts. They're all kind of coming out real kind of, uh, I don't even know. It's like jazz kind of. Warshaw's an editor. Right. Like Warshaw, nothing comes out of his mouth without running through three filters of editing first, yes, you know? Exactly. Um, except, uh oh, I got him a little bit drunk. 
Well played, David. Well played. So the second hour of the interview is a little looser than the first. Oh, this is great. And then he even insisted, dude, you got to edit that. Just I, That should just be one hour. Like, cut no. it down into an hour. I'm like, heck no. You don't know podcasting about Warsaw. He doesn't. He totally doesn't. So that that is good for its own. I told you my mom lives on Whidbey. Which I wanted to ask you yeah. more about. Yeah, she lives on Whidbey. Um, How did she end up there? She and her husband moved up there like 30 years ago, you know, just like get out of Southern California, it's over. One of the, She's the classic case of it's over in Southern California. The I-5 is now busy, I'm out. Wow. If it was yeah. busy, if she thought it was busy 30 years ago, imagine what she would think. Oh, I know. Actually, she's driving down here this weekend. Well, so, so yeah, so there must have been something in the water 30 years ago because that's when Campion moved. Exactly. No, yeah. Like there was a movement. Yeah. Some places become hip for like a short period of time. Think, like Joshua Tree was hip. Whidbey, as, yeah, yeah. I think Whidbey was like that. Um, it's weird because I had never really even heard of it before. And then as soon as I said I was going, everybody that I know is like, oh, yeah, I've been there. I vacationed there. I did this. Yeah. Well, as you know, there's a naval station there. So there's a lot of people that know about it because there's a lot of Navy people that are rolling, you know, running through the, the mill there to yeah. four years and on, on to some other spot. Have, have you spent time on it? Yeah. It's freaking yeah. beautiful. Oh, was dude. it nice and sunny for you? Yeah, okay. it was. I went the perfect day, basically. Yeah, October is perfect. October, but it wasn't raining. Yeah. Like all the fall colors were changing and it was sunny. Yeah. You know, light, that's the light Chamber of Commerce jacket. week where they're like, yeah. hey, you might want to buy a house here because totally. it rains 90% of it. It's gray and overcast. Totally. But the whole arts district community thing, I was not aware of. Which prior to part going. of the town? Langley. Langley, yeah. That's that's where Drew lives. And yeah. I think my mom lived in Langley. They moved to another part of the okay. island. But, yeah. Well, I just had uh, unbelievable lunch. Like I showed up early. I was waiting for Drew to finish up an appointment and like just had a lunch. But it was on the second floor of the restaurant. So like overlooking the water mm-hmm. and every angle you look at, it's gorgeous. And everybody there is quaint and happy and just yeah. like this hometown kind of. Yeah. You know, Norman Rockwell kind of thing. Yeah. It was wonderful. I loved it. Too slow paced for me. I would not live there, but I absolutely loved it. And Drew, by the way, uh, I had never met Drew before. He was super gracious and warm as if we've known each other forever and very open, like mm, just oh yeah. wanting to wanting to discuss whatever, but not a lot of ego or pride. Like he wasn't trying to show off or no, he's, prove his worth. He's very, he has a ton of humility. He's very spiritually evolved. I would say. Interesting. And you know what's really cool about Drew is I think he, or no, he put his kids through this. I'm going to butcher it. I'll come to it later if I remember because I'm going to have a plan. Through a certain type of schooling? Yes. Okay. I don't know. It's based on this one guy, Rudolf Steiner. That's what it is. Rudolf Steiner. He's the father of biodynamics. So there's a full school that you can put your kids through. It's I forget what it's called, but you can Google it. But it's based on Rudolf Steiner's theories. Okay. And his kids did their entire schooling that way or just? Yes. Interesting. At least that's what I've, when, last time I talked to Drew, I think that's what we were discussing. That's fascinating. But what's really interesting to tie this back into surfing is the movie Rainbow Bridge was made by this guy named Chuck Wine, right? right. Chuck Wine was a huge follower of Rudolf Steiner. And a lot of the themes in that movie that were supposed to come out that sometimes didn't come out because it wasn't the greatest made film of all times a lot of the themes a lot of the spirituality a lot of the like i say the themes tropes in that movie are steiner-esque rudy steiner-esque and in fact rudy steiner's 
there's voiceover of Rudy Steiner in oh, Rainbow okay. Bridge. Like there's okay. parts of it where you hear this, like they're freak, they're like having an LSD trip, and in the background you hear this old German guy going, "I'm the Sonderfunder," you know, or whatever he's saying. And that's Rudy Stein. It's the Waldorf education. Exactly. I've heard of Waldorf. I never knew that was Rudolf Steiner. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, I did meet Drew's daughter. She was there too. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really, really good experience for me. By the way, if you did the Mount Rushmore of surf riders. Oh, Campion's on there. He has to be. Who else? <laughs> Mount Rushmore of surf riders. It's Campion... Um, would Warshog I would uh, the one that I would want to put on there is pretty contemporary who Doherty Sean Doherty I'm a huge fan yeah I think he's a he's a legit author like he's a legit writer not just a surf journalist like he could he can write anything oh yeah he's written a ton of books yeah that's my point so um, so it would be let's just say Doherty Campion but there's so many in between there that we're missing well, somebody like uh, Finnegan. I would say Nick Carroll, maybe. Yeah. Finnegan like has a Pulitzer, but he doesn't really write that much, you know? Yeah, you, you would have to sort of put the category into context. Like what is... Authors versus... Like a book authors versus... Journalism. Yeah, or, like... You know, like... Yeah. Because you might put Derek Hind on there. He wrote all those really great sort of, you know, almost... Power rankings? Yeah. With some vitriol. A little, like, spice. A little bit spicy, you know. I know, but... Which made you... If you only pick four. Yeah, I know. I'd go Warshaw has to be. <clears throat> maybe. I, I, maybe Warshaw. Warshaw, Campion, Sean Doherty, and Nick Carroll? Or is Nick Carroll... Is Nick Carroll not... Nick's in the conversation, for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's in the conversation. Yeah. I don't know. That's, yeah, that's tough. I mean, you could throw... Maybe Barlotti in there or Steve Hawk or really nobody at Surfing Magazine. <laughs> I mean, Pe- did Pez- I mean, Nick Carroll's from Surfing But Pesman has like an important role in surf riding, but I don't know that he's penned as many articles as others. But like yeah. he was editor. Pesman's more like Bing Copeland. Like he oversaw the yeah, empire, yeah. but he never really crafted the story. Right. Yeah, well, Campion would be in the pole position. I, I would agree. There's no doubt that Campion would be one of them. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so Whidbey Island's covered. One other follow-up. I'm going to let you try to guess which story this is in reference to from our last show. This is an email from a listener. I think who, I did who, this too. Who felt the need to chime in on a topic that we had in our last show. You ring the button... Ring the bell when you can identify which story he is referring to. Okay. All right. Paddling out all alone at Osa. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Shitting in your way. <laughs> <laughs> wow. In record time. You get a story about Griffin Colapinto shitting in his wetsuit? Yep. That is it. You nailed it, Scott. You win the Brown Trophy. Oh, my God. The, the Brown Trout Award? The Brown. Yeah, exactly. Here is the uh, trophy, the wall hanger of the Brown Okay, trophy. well, let's hear this. Right, I, by the way, I had no idea. I just, you nailed it. I did. You nailed it. Uh, paddling out all alone at Oside Boulevard about 10 years ago, fall, early fall morning, crisp offshores. 
A friend had just gotten back from Costa Rica where he lived for a year and he mentioned that every once in a while he would just drop a load on the paddle out in his trunks and anytime he would duck dive it would automatically flush. <laughs> I thought this sounded totally disgusting, but it also sounded liberating. Oh my god. So I felt a norm This sounds like a penthouse forum letter. <laughs> Depending on what you're into, Scott Jeez. <laughs> Reveal a little too much. Uh, yeah. uh, it just reads that way. So know. I felt. I never thought I would. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I too felt the enormous pressure. So I felt the enormous pressure in my stomach as I entered the water and decided I would give it a go. Things went off completely smooth. Wait, things went <laughs> off completely smooth. There was nobody around, and I started paddling out as I as my turd floated into the white water. Then, suddenly, I turn around, and there's Donald Takayama paddling out right behind me. Nice. We surfed alone for two hours trading waves. I felt horrible. Oh, my. That was the end of it. So I messaged him back. I was like, dude, did Donald know? Like, you really kind of didn't give me the punchline of this story. And he's like, honestly, I have no idea. I kind of paddled away and, like, surfed, tried to surf a peak by myself because I just was, like, so embarrassed. Oh, my God. But how good is that? You're, you think you're alone. You do something that is very private, very intimate, and you turn around and one of your icons is paddling out right behind you. That's a whole new meaning to Takayama's teriyaki sauce. Oh. <laughs> Did he have his own teriyaki <laughs> oh, sauce? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Where is it available? It was available at like El Pescador Fish Market and other other Man. You know, seaside market and little Trader San, Joe's. San Diego gem that I was unaware of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a good story. Yeah. How do you like that? Did you say you have one as well that you're going to read? Oh, I have an email. It doesn't yeah. have anything to do with that. It says, hey, guys, during the past episode, Scales. By the way, I've noticed people call you Scales. What do you think? I'll take it. Okay. During the past episode, Scales brought up the idea of reducing the frequency of your episodes. Just my two cents as a listener for many years. Don't do it. We need minimum one show per month. You and I do two shows a month, yeah. usually. No, but what I was suggesting was there are shows Season. that do seasons so that like you could take a break right. You know, every six months. Both you guys are doing a phenomenal job. The content is always interesting, so keep up the great work. P.S. I need to run by the old Inland at Austin soon and see if I can observe any progress on the Wave Park D.C. from Texas. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I'm in. I'm committed yeah. to two a month. Let's do it. Um, what do we do, man? Do well, we I get straight, we talk, in? Do we get yeah, straight we into it? Yeah, we just got to go straight into Kyle and Medina. Give me, you want to give the breakdown? No, why don't you? You're pretty good at setting it up. So <clears throat> where do we begin? Kyle Belly. Well, it's Gabriel like Medina. round three or four. First yeah. of all, let's back up. Okay. I so don't care about this event at this point. If this detail hadn't happened, totally, I almost wouldn't even watch the event. And I, remind me about what you just said because it's I need to tie that into something I'm going to say later. Okay. Yeah. Um, the WSL has lost my interest, and it's really due to the waves. Like the waves aren't good, and so when I have watched heats first, and then it runs in the middle of the night for us in Southern California, so. I don't get to watch it live. I wake up in the morning and I'll try to watch some of the heats and it's so boring because guys are and the girls are battling to get fours in close out, windy, crappy beach break. So 
I know the WSL is now screaming at me going, well, that's why we designed this wave pool where we could predict. And when we do that, you also shame us for that. What do you want, scales? And I'm saying... Scales? <laughs> and I'm saying uh, fewer surfers on tour, target the windows. Like You're telling what I've been yeah, saying forever. Yes. No, the this is now... Our, now I'm You're appropriating right. okay. your ideas. Purple blob tour. Yeah, like we, we've given you... We've designed the way... To make to ensure that you can run in good waves, basically, and to ensure that you and I watch. Yeah, because I'm not watching right now. No. I'm bored out of my mind. Anyway, no. I'll come back to. We will okay. come back to that. Okay. Uh, Gabriel Medina, Kaiwa Belly end up in the middle of the event. You know, a meaningless or you know, a middle round four, round, or round, round three, three round. Yeah. Four. They don't even name them. They're not even those names anymore. You know, the yeah. seating round of sixteen or whatever it it's is. Completely confusing. Totally confusing. And um, Gabriel was absolutely dominating the heat. He had. <laughs> sixes and sevens kayo had fours basically less i think yeah less he ended up getting a couple of fours but there was eight minutes left kayo had priority gabriel absolutely battles kayo for the wave even when Ky- when the wave's approaching and they're paddling out towards it gabriel's cutting off kayo kind of into his lane then kayo spins to go back at the wave gabriel does a delayed spin so that he's blocking kayo again then kayo it does have priority position on the right, plus deemed priority from the judges. Gabriel's bumping rails, bumping shoulders with him. Kayo gets to his feet and just throws his arms up automatically like, what the heck? Gabriel almost gets sucked over the falls on the piddly little wave and then like looks at the judges and also says, what the heck? So Kayo, uh, just to recap, had priority from the judges. The disc said that it was Kayo's priority. So Kayo went. Gabriel, in his mind, thought that he had priority because he felt that he had entered the lineup first. After their last, they both took off on a wave previously. Uh, Gabriel kicked out first, started paddling out first, felt that he had made it to the lineup first, so just assumed that he had priority, but never checked the disc. Apparently, the judges... The priority judge even called out on the loudspeaker that Kayo had priority. So Gabe failed by not checking the disc and by not listening to what was being called out over the loudspeakers and just presumed that he had priority. So that's why he battled Kayo. Ultimately, the judges deemed it an interference against Gabriel Medina, so he lost an entire wave. Kayo was still left needing a score at that point. He eventually got a wave, got the score, won the heat. This is particularly important because Gabriel is in pole position for the world title and every heat matters at this point. In all likeliness, he'll still be in pole position going into pipe, but he could have clinched the world title in Portugal. He will not do that any longer because of this interference call. Thank God. Thank God it's going to pipe. Sounds like a WSL conspiracy theory to me. Hmm. Mm. Here's um, one viewpoint that I read that I think sums it up really really well yes Gabe Medina should have had priority so real quickly everything went online and Gabe stated in on his Instagram I should have had priority I wasn't just battling Kayo like the judges the priority judges made a mistake I was in the lineup first I should have had priority they need to fix this situation basically yeah so and and I'll even preface that by saying there's a really great Instagram feed that Gabe put up that has 
both camera angles of the, the right and the left that Kayo and Gabe catch prior to the interference. They both go. I think Gabe surfs for like five seconds. Kayo surfs for like 12 or 15 seconds. So he's further down the beach. Gabe at this point is already kicked out and is paddling back out. Kayo is now paddling back out. And they're probably 150 yards away from each other or more. Very far away. And it appears to me that Gabe was outside before Kaya was outside. If we just did straight line parallel to the beach. Regardless, that doesn't matter what, what appears to have occurred, right? What matters is that, and I'll read, again, I'm going to read this viewpoint from, this is verbatim from a, from a, a reader on STAB, which I think totally nailed it. Medina should have had priority, and the judges definitely messed up on that. But at the end of the day, it's the athlete's responsibility to confirm that they have priority or not. I am sure this is not the first time the WSL has messed up priority, nor will it be the last. But Medina is at fault for not confirming that he had priority like he assumed. There should not be a resurf as Medina should have made sure he had priority. In the past, yes, athletes might be mad they didn't get priority, but they didn't get an interference because they were careful enough to look at the tower to check priority, something that Gabby failed to do. And somebody else chimes in, which I think is kind of important, and he's speaking to the rule, the actual rule, the WSL rule. The rule clearly states that it is based on the priority judge's belief, capital belief. So basically, the rule says that in arbitrary situations, subjective situations, the priority judge's decision is the rule of law. In other words, there shouldn't be a reserf. The, the subjective decision was made. You're now beholden the, the, to that. This no is the belief. Yeah, you are beholden now to this. And oh, yeah. by the way, we also flipped it for Kyle, and we set it over the loudspeaker. We flipped the marker. So there's no reason for a resurf. And Medina, yeah, maybe be a little bit pissed off. I think you could call it either way. Was it Kyle's? Was it, you know, I can see both sides of the equation. Six and one, half dozen another. At the end of the day, Medina failed his responsibility as a competitor. Yep. No resurf. Do you think there's going to be a resurf? Well, WSL took to Instagram this morning, mm -hmm. and they addressed it for the first time since the controversy. Yeah. And they said, quote, no resurf. Good. And further, Kayo was in the lineup first. Good. Further down the beach and Good. was rightfully rewarded priority. I love it. We can clearly hear the beach announcer say priority is with blue. Perfect. So the WSL, which <clears throat> went silent basically for two days, a day and a half, which uh, I was going to chastise them for. And even the couple of heats afterwards the commentators weren't discussing it anymore. Like, Okay, let me chime in if I may, because yeah. this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. This is, as you mentioned, this is has world title implications, right? This is a big effing deal. Yeah. And in my opinion, by far the most exciting and news-making moment of the year. Gabe's on a roll. He's throwing aerials. He's scoring big time. This is, a, we're about to make the world champion. I think Gabe, all, all he had to do was make the finals. Kayo's not even on tour. Kayo, the underdog, he's upset Slater in, right. I think it was Margaret River. He's upset people all across by getting these wild card entries into events, and here he is again. And But what I'm trying to build yeah, up no, is no. the fact that we're about to to to, to um, 
announced the world champion. Yeah. We're about to, yeah. to make the world champion Gabe Medina. I mean, he's on a roll. He's absolutely killing it. So this is by far the most exciting and news-making moment of the year, for sure, in this event, right? So why doesn't the WSL have the camera on Gabe Medina the entire time when he's storming up the beach, when he's marching up to the judges' tower, when he's having a flip-out? I guarantee you that this is perhaps the largest directorial faux pas in the history of the WSL. That they don't continue to cover this. That Why they cut and go to commercial at this moment is the silliest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, I was just pulling my hair out. Yeah. You've got to just have every microphone, every camera on him. I will point to golf and or tennis as great examples of this. When there's a situation in golf where, you know, a guy maybe hit the ball without meaning to hit it, or there's a rule thing that needs to go down, and a golfer is irate. NBC TV has got a camera right in front of the guy and a microphone picking up every F-bomb, and there's a rules official right there, and the whole drama of the entire broadcast is crescendoing right at this crucial moment. And this is just a major, major flub up yeah by the wsl and the director the guy who produces and directs this show that's what this is this is a show this is entertainment totally and they completely failed and i'm not going to give them a pass on this they have got to get cameras and microphones on these high tension high tension situations yeah. they've, they've got to be there completely and then this dovetails into your great commentary that you're about to give about the lack of discussion about this yep so they're, they've made one step in the right direction based, based on something we've criticized them about for a long time, which is at least they're addressing it after the fact. Like they've yes. done a thorough job today on their the WSL surf, yeah. surf breaks thing that they do every yeah. day. They s- devoted the entire you know minute and a half to showing the time coding, showing the footage, showing Gabriel walk up to the judges tower, all of that stuff. Good. And they're right in their call. Like they yes. made the right decision on the spot and they're now verifying that to us. But they took a day and a half to do it and they didn't do what you're saying. The couple of heats right afterwards, I think everybody was unsure if there, a mistake had been made. And so while Gabriel was in the judge's booth, you know, addressing the issue with them, they went radio silent until it got sorted out. But it, it took a day and a half to sort out, which is silly. Like it, they should have been willing to follow the story. Because you what can't. I get is no, I, get the, the I get the director in the ear of those broadcasters yeah. going, you guys don't talk about this. Just this exactly. is the company line. Just say this. Don't say anything until, until we, we get it, we get it figured out. out. Yeah. Which is just the worst thing you can Agreed. do. Like we want to be in the middle of it. We want to see the controversy unfold. We want to know that you guys aren't really sure about it just yet. And that we're going through the process of trying to figure it out. And yeah, maybe it's just, maybe it's, you know, we're, we're going to know more, more will be revealed, but we are talking to you about it. And, you know, like, Radio silence is BS, man. When you're in the business of radio, you can't go radio silent. No doubt. You know? So, yeah, I completely... So, bravo to the WSL and shame on the WSL simultaneously for... But... Well, their conviction this morning is great. I, I love that there's just a ton of conviction there. Yeah. But we've, Here, we've stated our case. You, you've got to roll film for us. That's the only thing... That's the only reason to watch this entire day of surfing was that moment and they cut to commercial. So, a couple of additional questions for you about this. Yeah. If the priority judge had made a mistake, yeah. which we thought that they had for the first day or two. The, the, the priority judge doesn't make mistakes. He 
makes a subjective decision, and then that is the rule of law, according to the Russell rule. But if so I makes, don't like the term mistake. Well, his subjective decision is based on what's supposed to be objective. So if it becomes subjective, it is a failure on his part. It's supposed to be an objective ruling of who well, gets out to the lineup first. And I and he got it right, right? There wasn't a Correct. mistake. Right. Correct. And by the way, I'm going to read further real quickly. So what you were saying that. is... I'll, I'll come back okay. to that. When the WSL cuts to the time-coded footage, which shows Medina and Abelli paddling out simultaneously after their rides, Abelli clearly gets past the impact zone before Medina and even sits down on his board for a moment before deciding to head north towards the peak where Medina was settled. Which is what you would do so, as a competitor. You're going to go sit next to the competitor. So yeah. So he, but he got out so there, Gabe's, took a breath, scraped his wax with his fingers, and then paddled up to But the Gabe's game. thought is he didn't make it to the point where I was sitting. Right. I made it to this peak first. Medina didn't factor in that, well, get down the beach, Kyle made it past the impact zone, sat right. on his board, right. then decided to go surf elsewhere. Right. That's where the, the discrepancy was for... But Gabe. hypothetically... But okay. So back to my, analogy, my uh, hypothetical. Yeah. If the priority judge had made a mistake or what I'm going to call a mistake, does the WSL, like what would their best course of action had been, would have been, like would be? Did they... surf? Really? You think yeah. so? Yeah. So if they made the mistake... If there's a mistake and they're saying it's a mistake, they come out with a press release that says we made a mistake... You think they do a research? You have to do a research. You think? Yeah. If you're going to say that we it screwed up... It makes it up, so much sloppier and uglier to do the research. If, but if you're going to say that, there has to be recourse for the one that was offended, which would have been Gabe in this case. I remember we did that years ago with Taj and Bede and West Oz. Yeah. Like Bede won on some technicality that was called into question. So then they're like, all right, we'll do a resurf tomorrow morning and then bead one again in like the proper heat, you know, which was great. And you, it you kind can't of say you made a mistake and not run a, a resurf because mistakes happen all the time in the NBA. Referees get calls wrong all the time. Yeah. But you don't have the ability to, to have a, you know, to like That's go a, back the next day and have a, but I don't think just we not, do either. It like everything changes that next day, you know? Yeah, I mean, I can see your point. Like the conditions are different or whatever. Like in, but. The, in the 24 hours that they were considering or there was rumored to be a resurf coming, I was like, I don't know. Like, I think you just got to, you got to deal the hand that you're dealt. Or you got to play the hand that you're dealt. Resurfs have happened. The precedent has been set too. So it's not like it's out of the realm for all the competitors to go, what? We've never even heard of a resurf. Like that's kind of like, they were all going, mm, maybe there'll be a resurf. You know, like it's, it's in their consciousness. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's real tough. This is this falls into the category of like the WSL trying to be a sport, trying to make this a sport when there's too much. There's all these gray areas that exist that really prevent it. It's a square peg in a round hole, right? I've told you. If you can wear dress pants, smoke a cigarette, and and or you're not scoring your own points, it's not a sport. Okay, well, nobody's smoking a cigarette in the lineup, so that qualifies it as a sport. Right. Um, the word wetsuit has the word suit built right into it, which mm. is synonymous with dress pants. <laughs> <laughs> the fact of the matter is, Oh, and by the way, you have to have a defender. There needs to be a defender, and you have to score your own points. You so can't go golf, out there and hope to let somebody else's points be attributed to you. So golf isn't a sport? No, it's an athletic endeavor. 
Okay. These Mot- are all athletic endeavors. Athletic endeavor, no defense. Okay. There's no defender. Hmm. Got to have a defender. Okay. Hmm. Baseball. Baseball has defenders, but they can smoke cigarettes. They're not I really mean, defenders. I guess there is. They're defending de- the, the bases. Word is defense. Yeah. They're defending yeah, the bases. True. I don't think they smoke cigarettes. I mean, they could, but that was like in 1910 when it, when it'd be you know, the Pope was the Pope did. was smoking cigarettes. <laughs> it's probably illegal to smoke in a stadium nowadays, to be honest. Right. Um, yeah. But those are good parameters for what qualifies as a sport as opposed to an athletic endeavor. Yeah. Not to suggest that, you know, climbing, you know, half dome isn't incredibly difficult, but it's not a sport. Right. It's an athletic endeavor. I'm slowly, after four or five years, I'm slowly coming around to your idea on yes. this. Yes. Yes. I'm not giving up yet. Yes. I just want to be contrarian. So I'll find an example. Let me think. Bowling. You can smoke a cigarette, wear dress pants, and there's no defender. The only thing you do is you score your own points. But that's not very athletic either. And it's not, you know, it's not even an athletic endeavor. It's just an a endeavor. hobby. It's just an endeavor. It's just an endeavor. It's just a hobby. You guys out there, you got to Google YouTube. There's this, the greatest moment in professional bowling history. I think I've told you about this. Where the one guy, he's the son of the world famous, like legendary bowler, the, like the most legendary bowler of all time, right? And this guy's the son, and he's followed in his father's footsteps, and now he's about 40 years old, and he's had a history of, like, alcoholism and probably some cocaine abuse and just all sorts of all sorts of shit that went down in the late 70s and the 80s. And he's on his comeback trail, and he bowls like a perfect game or something, and he's got the most insane celebration in the history of celebrations where he just goes... <laughs> you got you to gotta YouTube it How and watch it. How can I even it. find it? Just go on YouTube and go- Google... Professional Bowlers Association, Google like PBA. Um, um, Are you sure you weren't just watching Kingpin? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking no. about Bill Murray right now. No, no. This is the greatest. It's it's a known. It's like it's like a known celebration. It's the greatest celebration, and he looks right at the fans who all hate him, and he just goes. Ugh, he just like screams at him, and it's just like, it's so over the top. It's the greatest Perfect. thing. Ever. I'll I'll make a meme out of I'm it. I'm gonna try to find. No, it. no, no. I'll make a meme out of it and send it or Instagram it out. Yeah, you got. Don't try to find it now. Okay. It's gonna right. slow down the. Oh, the show's so the show. great. <laughs> it is okay. Okay, so one other question to you about oh, about this situation. Yeah. Uh, Gabe, it's not even a question. Here's my statement. Okay. Gabriel is a dick. Like, Gabriel's such a dick. No shit. Like, none of this would have happened if you weren't such an a-hole. Like, <laughs> whether you have priority or not, look at what Gabriel was doing. And, and it's like, okay, so that actually makes me call into question Gabriel's authenticity. Because if Gabe had priority, if he thought that he had priority in his head, why did he attack kyle the way that he was attacking kyle if he had priority he would have just spun and gone with impunity without even thinking about kyle yeah hoping hoping that kyle was gonna go hoping that kyle would bang into him right not the opposite right the fact that gabe actually pressed kyle and blocked him two or three times in the paddling makes me think that gabriel knew that kyle had priority the entire time f gabriel gabriel's a dick and he deserves all of the retribution and hatred that Kyle is getting online deserves to be devoted at Gabriel. Totally if agree. We, We've got a black hat that's gotten blacker. Yeah. He's the guy we love to hate. He is the dark, mean, evil surfer, Gabe Medina. Evil. He's evil. pure evil. Evil. 
wrapped up into one swaddling yellow jersey. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's, uh, and it's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing to have somebody that in a comp- competitive except format. Own it. That we, own it. That like, we get to hate. Own it. Come out and be like, yeah, I blocked him because F Kyo. He's not even on tour. He's not even good enough to be on tour. That's why I blocked him because F that guy. That's what he should be saying. He shouldn't be crying. <laughs> he shouldn't be crying to the judges with his daddy on oh the beach screaming and crying. Yeah. Going, oh, there's been a missed. What this indicates. I heard daddy blew up. Yeah. Blew a gasket. Yeah, exactly. We wanted to see that. No, this is pathetic. Your dad is fighting your battles for you. This is pathetic. Further. Soft. Further. No, this shows a level of entitlement that we have not seen in a long time. This guy's completely lost touch with reality. He thinks that he's the world champ, which by the way is only possible because John John is injured. He's never won a world title with John John being a healthy competitor. So Andy Irons would stomp on Oh my gosh. Time. He'd stomp on his throat. So Gabriel is so entitled that he thinks everybody needs to bow down and the priority judges are failing at their job when they clearly did it correctly and that everybody needs to get out of his way and he's going to push you around even when he has priority it's coddled entitled swaddled soft this guy's a dick spit the dummy yeah i don't even know what that means it's an aussie phrase (laughs) (laughs) means you're upset a dummy is like a pacifier and when a baby Uh, spits the dummy out and starts crying they go oh mate spat the dummy yeah so I am I'm not a fan. I am not a fan. And Let I'm, me ask you this. Will Gabe win Pipe and win the world title? Unfortunately, yes. Who can we root for to get in his way? Jordy. To e- win the world title? E- Who's e- in the running? Idolo. Idolo. I would love to see Idolo win the world title. Yeah. That would be sick. A fellow countryman scooping it from him? Scooping it. That's a, that's a term. It's, I'm into it. Yeah. Scoop it. Scoop. Get your scoop on. Get your scoop on. Go ahead, internet. Make a meme. Scoop this. Um, so <laughs> this is where Ernie McElroy <laughs> does his dance. Oh my. Um, no. So I, I mean, honestly, the math is with Gabe, and Gabe's always makes the quarterfinals at pipe, if not the finals. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply
So you know what's interesting? Um, you weren't there. You were out of town, but Elo and the guys at the WSL brought us up for that media thing about nine or ten months ago, whatever it was. And um, and remember, you, you might remember I came back and I was raving about Elo was showing me this this little trailer for this this Brazilian storm documentary that they're putting out. Basically, saying it's not a Brazilian storm. It's like it's going to happen. For, it's like a Brazilian weather Brazilian weather pattern or something. Like basically. This documentary is the Brazilians getting up on their high horse, Gabe leading the way and going, we're here, we're not leaving, screw you, it's on, like like really kind of like puffing up their chest. And it was supposed to be released soon, like Elo was telling me they wanted to release it prior to Hawaii to kind of get the whole energy flowing about this pipe event and, and you know, crowning a world champion in December and that whole thing. This was going to help kind of light the fire so to speak now we've you know we've got some embers already we've got you know the fire's half lit now all we got to do is get elo to put this documentary out there you and i talk about it at length <laughs> i'm gonna shoot a text to elo and find out when that thing's coming out and what it's called and we need to be looking for that um how do you feel about the wsl's content that he's been creating have you been watching any of it not really, no. <laughs> I haven't. It's not that it isn't good. It doesn't mean it's not good. For the first time ever, I watched one of the surf breaks. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked it. I retweeted it. I re... What I, yeah, I re, it was on Twitter? Was it on Twitter? On Instagram. It was on Instagram. I reposted. I reposted. Regram. It was good. Was it? Why was it good? Because it, I think it had Peter King involved in it somehow or... or it was good because I forget why, but it had to do with Carissa and I don't know why it was good, but I remember going, this is actually pretty good. I'm going to re repost this. I have never heard someone speak with such passion and veracity <laughs> before. I, I am mean, sold. Look, I'm going to go find that clip and well, watch it now. Look, we're in the world of, you know, 30 second edits and I don't know. I think I saw it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was pretty good. I retweeted it, whatever. But anyway, my point is, I think it had because I haven't it. seen it, because I haven't watched some of the stuff they're putting out, doesn't mean it's not good. The one thing I did watch, I really liked. I talked about it. The the, the kid from Columbia, the the kid that's like a chal challenged athlete, Freddie. Yeah, Freddie El Campeon. Did you watch Kelly Slater's Sound Waves? No, mm. that thing seems too much like he has control over it. Like Kelly does. Yeah. Well, if he does, and he approved what got. Oh, really? What happened? I missed it. Now I want to watch it. This was one of the better things I've seen in a while um, from a delectable kind of psychological analysis, you know, thing that we love to do with Kelly. Yeah. Uh, he's nuts, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. Was he arguing with a flat earther or what's going down? Um, no, that would be even better. I wish we got to see that. No, I mean, like, look. He's <laughs> he's nuts, says David Lee Scales. You just called him crazy. He's great. You know, it's great that it's he's great so content. Ripe. Yeah, he's so ripe. He's so he's such an intellect, an intellect that he's a thinker, and so there's a lot going on. He's the for, greatest for us to kind of assess. I love it. But um, it was at Sur it was mainly centered around Surf Ranch and his uh, coming to terms with having built this thing and engineered this thing and not being. A top competitor at this thing that he uh, built and spent his whole life 
you know, focusing on. I and so he spent his whole life. Focusing. His entire life's work no. all wrapped up into one barely all right, life. Maybe. And so him coming to terms with like being on site and th- he can't put together two sevens, you know, and like his back is hurt. And so he's like stretching out and, or he's coming off of whatever injuries or just nursing whatever small injuries that he's always had. And yeah. Kal- Kalani yeah. in his quarter, like giving him little positive affirmations and then the bizarre part comes with this guy uh, charlie goldsmith who's a television healer quote unquote that is his (laughs) his when you search him i think his website is later he has this charlie goldsmith who's a television healer in his corner constantly doing the positive affirmation thing and like kelly you're good enough i don't know why you're worried about getting a 12th that doesn't sound very positive yeah. Well, that's no, so so this is exactly what was perplexing to me is like the simplicity of all of the positive affirmation. It was like, yeah, this is what my my fourth grade cousin would tell you. Like this is how they would and affirm you. And I think you. that's okay. Like, I think that's okay. I think affirmations should be simple. Well, I think they they're they're, they're best when they're simple. Okay. Fair enough. So First of all, who is the Charlie guy? We've never seen <laughs> Char- it before. Dude, I heard that you're, what's his, what is he, a TV what? A healer? healer. You're like a podcast healer. Am I? The this scale is like a therapy school session of podcast oftentimes. healing, yeah. I like it. I'm fine with so that. So anyway, who is this guy? Well, so you go to his Jimmy website. Jimmy Swaggart's here's, grandson here's, or something? <laughs> here's straight off of his website. Yeah. This is what he wrote about him. I'm himself. sure he's a great guy. By the way, I don't know him from Adam and I'm kind of ripping him and I don't mean to... You know, it, sure quote from his own website. Okay. It wasn't until after his first hospital study completed in 2013 by doctors, a hospital in New York, that it became public. The study was designed to build a case for a double blind study in the future. It was published in 2015. I read that verbatim. So there's a bunch of errors in it grammatically. Secondly, they're attributing his kind of verifiable status as a healer to doctors in a hospital in New York. They don't say which doctors, they don't say which hospital, and they say that whatever that study was, was designed to build a case for a double-blind study in the future. So it wasn't even that that was the case that was published and peer-reviewed and all that sort of stuff. It was just this anonymous study that was done that proves that he's a healer. You know what's interesting it's so about vague. that? My, it's my very entire vague. Yeah, point it's vague. is it's that vague. It's, anything you look into about him, it's super vague. And they keep saying like, well, he doesn't charge for his healing, but he does charge for the weekly cleanse program that you can get on to live his lifestyle <laughs> oh, is you, what it is. Oh, it's yeah. like you can buy like was, gallons of beans. and a, <laughs> It was like, who is this guy, Charlie, that is giving Kelly this very like, kind of pedestrian advice and then you look into him and you go oh my gosh this has all the earmarks of just being a charlatan or somebody who's there to sell like their you know lifestyle product uh it doesn't take a very deep dive to like have significant questions about charlie so then it calls into question why does kelly have this guy in his corner does kelly like what does kelly feel about this guy uh anyways it's well worth watching scott sound waves well, I listened to this podcast the other day, which was I found really fascinating. I'm trying to pull it up, but it's basically a um, a renowned psychiatrist, an MD, who's um, doing neuropsychology, 
experiments, neuropsychological experiments, um, putting people's brains underneath, you know, scans and looking at the neurons in the and the brain chemistry and how it reacts to certain things and getting basically hard science, right? Hard science, data, data, both data and data. And he's also on the other side of the equation, he's been meditating for like 24 years. And he's the, he's the professor of the mindfulness program at Brown University. Ivy League School Brown. Yep. So he your favorite color trout. He does both. <laughs> Right. So he's hard science data guy, but he's also been meditating for his own personal thing and then developed into this program at Brown. So for the first time ever, he's taken both of those sciences and, and basically confirmed what we all knew that meditation is really good for you. But he's confirmed it through hard science and data through uh, analyzing brain waves and brain uh, chemistry. It's pretty fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Very good. So what, maybe Kelly you know what should podcast it was on. Yeah, it's this, I'm, I'm trying to find it. I can search it out. Okay. Um, the guy's kind of a, he's got a pretty good following podcast. Is it Sam Harris? No. I didn't really necessarily um, think the, the host was all that great, which is often the case with these podcasts. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but the guest was great. Are you having your own Kelly Slater-esque existential crises right now? <laughs> no, no, no. This no. thing that I built... I'm not sure I can get sixes on it anymore. I'm definitely not getting sixes. I barely qualify for a resurf on this podcast. <laughs> oh god! So that so uh, honestly, like for me, the entertainment in that thing was um, watching Kelly struggle with an existential crisis. You know, uh, trying to be at the top of his game when he's like very clearly, by all of our standards, not at the top of his game anymore. When it comes to athletically winning events you know based on surfing prowess he's just not the top guy anymore and he still thinks that he is and he has these yes people around him going you're good enough it's okay we validate you you know and he's like no the only thing that validates me is going out there and winning and he knows we all know he can't do that i disagree unless it's pipe yeah he's, he's not gonna, but he's not going to win at nine out of the nine the, stops on tour maybe not he can win a pipe he can win a chopu yep where it matters yeah, except it doesn't matter for the world title. Right. You need to win at all those other spots too, right. or at least not lose to Leonardo Fioravanti. In the oh middle of my the God, that that was that's a good way to was leave. Is that unnecessary? No, that's okay. I've got a quote for you. I can't really put into words what it's like to see these perfect waves rolling down the fields at last. What am I speaking of? Surf Ranch when somebody falls. No. Nick Honesfield, the founder of The Wave, the first... Um, Wave Garden Cove opened to the public in Bristol, in England, in the UK, Bristol's Wave Pool. So they've rolled the first couple of waves down the um, test run there, and they're excited about it. So Nick, who's a big-time listener of the show, so I wanted to give him a shout-out. Have you noticed with his emails, he'll say like, oh, I can't wait till you guys make it out here. <laughs> I want that line to be like, I've I'm going to be flying you, you guys yeah. out here. So that you can give a positive review. Yeah, Exactly. We're waiting. We we received your invitation, the way, Nick, and we appreciate it. I'm going to be going to surf in some remote islands in Indonesia archipelago in next May into June. Oh, okay. This could be a thing that you and I could do together. I know we've talked about this before. Are you talking about including listeners on it? Too? Maybe. Oh, okay. But there's an opportunity for that for sure. I'd but even if it's it. just you and I, just go go on a surf trip. 
I'd be open to that too. Yeah. Um, I'm at a phase in my life where I need to be building for the future and not going on now, this is superfluous. Well, here's the deal. You're going to be in Japan, right, for the boardroom show. Uh, is that an official invite, Scott? Well, I'm just assuming based to. on your other work. I would love to. You were there last time, weren't you? No. Oh. <laughs> wow, thanks. Oh, shit. Yeah, you made a big impression. But <laughs> No, okay. I was not in Japan with you on a seminal moment not with in your me. life. Not with me, Jeez, with your man. other company. Jeez. So my point is is that I'm going to be in Japan. Okay, so it's a hop skip. So I'm just, yeah, it's not like a major. Okay. Why I'm there, I might as well go surf Indo. And so. <laughs> yeah, you might as well. But anyway, it's the Monkey Surf Resort. Okay. Monkey Surf Resort in the Telus Islands. I'm going to be traveling out there um, next year. And okay. so the opportunity is there for listeners if they want to join me. Um, I don't know what that looks like as far as cost or anything like Before that. Before we put that out to listeners, that should I'm be... I'm definitely a, going. Yeah, we should... I mean, that's something that um, you and I have discussed on air years ago. And then listeners have asked for it, like a group surf trip. And yeah. I've had companies reach out to me and actually say, you could do this and you should do this. Yeah. I just haven't... Um, done the the work to figure it all out but well the guys at the monkey surfers are want um you know they want us to uh publicity yeah they want publicity exactly it's a new surf resort okay so i'm going sweet and i'm going to be talking about it and you might as well go too and we might as well have listeners go is all i'm thinking okay it might be cool all right that's enough time to map it out for sure um i have some dukes because i've got to get going here yeah yeah definitely my Dukes, Damien Hobgood, pro surfers. We're not throwing that term around loosely anymore. Let me ask you this. You learned. If you are a world champion, are you a pro surfer for the rest of your life if you've won a world title? Yes. Okay. I would agree with that. So Jen Smith is a pro surfer for the rest of her life yep. because Jen Smith won the world championship. So pro surfers slash Free surfers, Damian Hobgood, Jen Smith, Devin Howard, Tim Curran, Taylor Knox, and Josh Kerr. All of them made time this weekend and volunteered to surf in the Surf Aid Cup San Diego. And we raised over $50,000 for Surf Aid programs in Baja and Indonesia. So those six pro surfers are my Duke Kanamokos for, um, for being a part of the Surf Aid Cup San Diego. Duke status for sure. Congrats. Um, another, this is neither here nor there doesn't fit into the structure of the show but just a side thought do you follow kalani rob on instagram no uh any reason why no no reason why um he has not aged a day in 20 years it's freaking crazy like he's shredded he's like rocking a six-pack i mean he's got to be 40 at this point right 42 43 yeah He's shredded, looks exactly like he did when he was surfing Rocky Point all the time. Seems to be having more fun than even Mason Ho. Like he's wearing pink wetsuits. I mean, I don't know if he's doing it strictly for like his YouTube channel or if he'd be doing that without a camera on the beach. But he's just like, when he's on a shortboard, he is ripping really hard. And then he's often riding a soft top in a pink wetsuit and like doing a barrel roll. He's doing all the things that I fantasized about doing when I was in high school, drawing on my notebook. He'll do a barrel roll. He'll get up on his butt on the nose of the, this was a clip the other day, paddles in into this like barreling section, what looks like Salt Creek. And then like jumps up onto his butt on the nose of the board. So 
he's like sitting down with both toe, uh, all 10 toes hanging off the nose of the soft top longboard, gets barreled sitting down, comes out of the barrel on his butt, makes it. He'll get up on a, a finless board and do 300, 360s, just spinning down the face of the wave all the way to the beach. He's ollieing over paddlers. Like he's just having an absolute blast wearing novelty wetsuits and stuff. It's hilarious. He's right. killing it. He's killing it. Cool. Is you're not, that your dude? You're, you're not in? No, I'm in. I'm in. I'm, okay. I'm no, ha- I'm, no, I like this. He's flying his freak flag. It's good. <laughs> he's not my Duke. Oh. But I was just Why'd you bring it up? following any of it. Oh, no. I'm not. Are you anti colonial no, I don't know no. what face you're giving no, me right no, now. No, no, no. You are so dismayed. No, I, I mean. I'm going to get to the listeners. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> Off air and then on Instagram. <laughs> okay, so my getting back to it. My Duke is. Yeah. My kook is obvious. My kook is Gabriel Medina for all the reasons that I ranted about a minute ago. And his dad. Hate that guy. (laughs) Hate's too strong a word. I don't hate anybody. So now I'm But it's fun to dislike him. Now I'm gonna get whipped with all of the vitriol of the Brazilian fan base because I guess they went nuts. They did. Like they went crazy. The real story here that we haven't talked about is that Caio Abelli had been receiving death threats. Oh my God. We didn't, why didn't we talk about that? So Gabriel has this huge ravenous following. Yes. Really doesn't even, I would imagine doesn't really care about surfing. They're just, just they look at him as this icon. Yes. You know, he's like a boy band from Japan. Totally. And Brazilian fans are just mad about him. Right. And so even though Caio is also Brazilian, they were just fully ripping <laughs> That's Caio. what Gabe is. Gabe is the Brazilian boy band. Yeah, totally. So we can just one ref- man. We can just refer to him as the Brazilian boy band. He's the Brazilian Bieber. The Brazilian Bieber. The Biebs. The Biebs. Brazilian Biebs. The Biebs. Lost that's, complete touch with reality. That's what we're going to tell them from now on. The Brazilian Biebs. How did he do in his heat? Brazo Biebs. Uh, I heard Biebs. that he just showed up. 30 minutes late in his Ferrari, threw an egg at Kiowa Belly, and then demanded that he win the heat. Brazo Biebs. That's losing. what he does. See on the Kardashians? Because he's entitled. He should he be on the Kardashians. Next season, see if he can work a deal with Chris, Chris oh, Jenner, oh uh, where he like does a side a side story is uh, Kendall like sleeps with a pro surfer, and everybody's, oh there's all these rumors about it. Um, okay, move forward. Anyways. The Brazilian Biebs is my kook for all the reasons I've already stated. Now, my Duke, Caio Abelli. Caio literally isn't on tour this year and has created more disruptions for the world title race in event after event. He has no sponsors. He's on DHDs now, which are working really well for him. He's taking out world title contenders at every event, completely... I think Doherty wrote in Surfer about this event too that the is the one guy that probably should have received the injury yes, wild card, but course. he didn't because John John and Kelly Kelly got the injury wild exactly. Cards. So and he got the Kyle's got Kyle's like the ultimate ultimate under underdog totally, and he just and re- he's requalifying through the CT, isn't he? And he's reinstated that every step of the way. Oh, he fully deserves it. I mean, he is beyond the comeback surfer of the year. He's almost like created a new category for himself. It should be called the Kaio Award. It it should be called the Kaio Award. And the WSL, it almost makes me think that their thing is so screwed up. Like their ranking system and the way that people get picked for things is just fraught with flaws. Uh, Time and time again. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, yeah. We've restated it a bunch. All right. But, Kyle, you are the Duke of the year, not just the week. 
And then my must-see moment, by the way, um, Joe G, the filmmaker, I'm a big fan of. He works for Globe, and he's been slowly releasing a film in multiple parts over the course of the year. Part four with Creed McTaggart just dropped. So uh, Cult of Freedom, the Creed part, is available as of 12 hours ago. Killer. Via the internet. We'll put it on spitpodcast.com. Love it. All right, well... It was a short show. Was it an hour? How long was it? Hour and nine. Okay. If we had showed up on time, they would have got the full 90. Man. I um, I have a boardroom show with Wayne Rich, which is live. You probably have quite a few shows out there which are available for enjoyment, listening. Um, and then... Uh, Instagram, your surf splendor. I'm boardroom show. Is Jeff Devine's show going out on Monday? I hope so. Okay. Cool. I'm also interviewing Jojo Roper and then this other guy, the skateboard guy I'm doing Thursday. I'm kind of booked. A skateboard guy? Yeah. That sounds fun. <laughs> Just a skateboard guy? His name's John O'Malley, and he's written a book called Urethane Revolution. Oh, about, it's about the wheels? The, the beginning of the urethane wheel, yeah. Wow. I'm in. We'll see. I'm in. Could be good. Could be bad. I don't know. Sweet. Okay, until next time, adios and aloha. myself on TV I'm a faker, a paper clown It's clear to all my friends that I habitually lie I just bring them down I claim proneness to exaggeration But the truth lies in my frustration The children of the night, they all pass me by Got to dress myself in brandy and sleep a
scratched that fossil soul insane. In the morning I'll humbly detach myself. I'll take no blame. I just can't face my fate. 